five-foot-long slabs of pizza, eating pizza with a knife and fork, and Pinza. This week, it's all about Roman pizza. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. This is the place where we explore the world's great cuisine at DestinationEatDrink.com and on the Destination Eat Drink podcast. This week, my guest is writer, TV personality, and podcaster Katie Parla. But first, if you've been enjoying the show, could you support our efforts with a small contribution to our 100% listener-supported endeavor? Just go to DestinationEatDrink.com and click on the Contribute button. And thank you very, very much. Katie Parla is an award-winning cookbook author, TV personality, and podcaster who is a certified sommelier with a master's degree in Italian gastronomic culture. She also loves pizza. Katie's latest book is called The Joy of Pizza, Everything You Need to Know. She co-wrote it with pizza chef and restaurateur Dan Richer. Katie also recently wrote an article, The 20 Best Pizzerias in Rome. Katie tells me why she doesn't buy the myth of double zero flour or really any pizza dogma for that matter. She also talks about the many different varieties of Roman pizza, like pizza alla pala, pizza al taglio, pizza tonda, and many others. Plus, Katie shares tons and tons of recommendations for the best place to get pizza when you visit Rome. Okay, I'm starving for some dough, sauce, and cheese, so let's eat. Destination, eat, drink. Katie Parlow, welcome back to Destination Eat Drink. It's great to have you back on the show to talk about one of your favorite topics, one of my favorite topics, pizza. I'm so happy to be here, and I love pizza, so thank you for letting me do this. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, your latest book is called uh, The Joy of Pizza, Everything You Need to Know. You and Dan Richer uh, wrote this thing together. So tell me, how did you and Dan originally uh, get together and team up for this project? So Dan and I are both from New Jersey, and contrary to popular belief, not every single pe person from New Jersey knows one another. You don't know Bruce Springsteen? <laughs> I mean, the boss, personal friend. Um, so we actually met in Italy. He was on a consulting gig helping a pizzeria in New York develop dough and kind of get acquainted with Roman pizza styles. And uh, often when restaurants send uh, their staff on like R&D missions, they'll engage me in a tour either of Rome or sort of more extended tour based on whatever food they're interested in. And that's how Dan and I met. And that was probably 10 years ago. We stayed in touch. And uh, I'm from, I'm going to say this probably 18 more times during the podcast. So sorry. Uh, I'm from New Jersey. <laughs> and when I land from Rome to visit my family, I always go to Razza, his awesome pizzeria in Jersey City, first thing. Um, and so, you know, we're friends. I'm also a huge fan of Razza and uh, everything that he does. So when he wanted to write a book, I said, don't do that. It'll ruin your life. The editing part is miserable. And he said, I'm going to ignore you. Let's do it together. So that's how that happens. I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm going to drag yeah, you down. No one ever listens to me. I'm going to drag you down with me. I think it's good advice. 
Writing a book is really hard and it's not very lucrative, so you shouldn't do it. But everyone ignores me. I also ignore myself. My seventh book's coming out in March. Yeah, preach on. I, I hear you. I, I wrote I wrote my book and I was like, oh man, I don't know if I can ever if I can ever birth <laughs> birth this thing again. Um like, oh that was expensive. <laughs> yeah. Everyone knows New York style pizza. I don't think New Jersey well, maybe it is. Um, but is New Jersey style pizza a thing or is it its is it its own thing or is it variations of New York style pizza or, or what is it exactly? You know, 10 years ago, you would have had like a couple of distinct styles in New Jersey. The Trenton style, uh, really famous for like the tomato pie in around the state capitol. Okay. And then a lot of pizzerias, including the one that I grew up going to near Trenton, did like New York style pizza, not very thoughtfully, with pretty bad ingredients, which is kind of the standard across the board in New York and New Jersey. Um, and it's only in the past decade or so that there's been, let's say like an American artisan pizza Renaissance where people know about different pizza styles in Italy. They've had different American styles and they're like, eh, that's not really what I want to do. I want to have these characteristics and they develop, uh, dough recipes and topping combinations that are more in line with sort of their dream pie rather than falling in line with any particular pizza dogma. That's so interesting. And maybe we can get into that a little bit more, which is that dogma. I think a lot of places fall into that category. And it's like, I love Neapolitan style pizza, but you you see this with lots of other foods and drinks as well. Wine comes to mind immediately. It's like, if it doesn't fit into this exact category, then it somehow becomes excluded, even though it might be incredibly interesting and delicious and fascinating and something you want to try. Totally. And dogma doesn't necessarily equate to quality because, and this is also like wine's a great analogy, a wine could adhere to all of the rules and regulations and production zones required by the appellation, but it could also be like really bad. Um, And the outcome, the sort of result, is not something that's judged. It's the process. Like Neapolitan style, in order to be a Neapolitan uh, pizza, like officially certified, the pizzaiolo has to have a specific training, use certain flours, like double zero flour, which actually is like big marketing scam, um, has to use San Marzano tomatoes, which like no surprise to anyone who follows like food fraud in, uh, in yes. on the globe. Not enough summers on tomatoes to supply the demand. So guess what? There's a lot of like illegality in that field. And so I could like, I think, write a book about how following the Neapolitan style could lead you uh, astray and actually prevent you from making great pizza. Um, that said, there's some great Neapolitan pizza makers. Uh, shout out to uh, Attilio in uh, Naples, Girosalvo, um, Enzo Colcha. But I think generally speaking, um, the Neapolitan style could be a lot better all over the world. A lot of stuff to unpack with that, with what you just talked about, Katie. But I think the first thing I want to I want to ask you about is uh, why no double zero flour? Because that's been indoctrinated into our brains now. You see so many pizza places um, coming in saying double zero flour, double zero flour over and over again. And now it's like it become sort of a mantra. Why are you against double zero flour? Well, double zero flour is a, an Italian flour footnote uh the double zero is a method of nomenclature used in italy to express like the most highly refined flour so it's like the one with the least nutrition it's milled the finest 
Uh, and that's what double zero means. Double zero flour, because of its complete absence of identity, it's pure milled endosperm, can't give you a sense of terroir. Um, it can give you like the high protein that you're looking for if you're making certain pizza styles, um, for sure. But because Italy historically has not grown enough grain to supply its demand, um, a lot of that grain's traveling from all over the world, landing in Italy, getting milled, getting bagged up, and then being sent back to where it grew in the first place. Like a lot of the wheat in uh, Italian uh, bags of flour is actually from the U.S. or Canada. And uh, I think in, you know, I'm just, I'm going to speak uh, to a U.S. audience. That's certainly the audience for the Joy of Pizza. There are some incredible flour companies in the U.S., doing things that are, you know, not expensive. They're super affordable. They're milled to the same specs year in and year out. So you can have a really consistent product uh, without having to buy into the marketing that Caputo and other companies have really uh, sort of dominated the field with. So if I hear you, Katie, I, from what you're saying, double zero flour is basically the wonder bread of flours. <laughs> and listen, I love a Wonder Bread. One of my favorite sandwiches <laughs> um, is uh, the tramezzino in Italy with like tuna salad and egg. We eat it on basically Wonder Bread with the crust cut off. Uh, Wonder Bread is, is super consistent. It lacks nutrition. And I think if you're trying to make a really delicious pizza, if the base is made with something totally inert, then it's probably not going to be as good as it could be. If uh, unless you, you know, you're a complete master and use fermentation and all sorts of things to tease out the best uh, uh, flavor profile. But I would say if you're shopping in North America, ditch the double zero, use bread flour or even all-purpose flour. It's going to have the protein uh, quantity uh, necessary for creating a really good base, especially for the five doughs in the Joy of Pizza. And then uh, the five doughs in the book start out with like super simple, like white flour, and then work up to more um, uh, sort of uh, heirloom wheats, uh, different types of bran inclusion. So you got to learn like the kind of refined flour, Wonder Bread stuff first before you move up to the more complex, uh, like sourdough uh, style baking. So we've got the dough. What else is really important for folks to know um, if they're reading your book? What what kind of mindset do they need to be in to understand what you're saying in the book and also to take that knowledge and put it on top of the pie? Well, I think one of the most important mindsets to be in uh, is that it's not just pizza, right? A pizza, let's take the margarita pizza, for example, a dough base with tomato sauce, mozzarella, basil. All of those things are the product of agriculture. Someone potentially, has made those things. Um, sometimes a factory and machines make those things, but we still have, especially in uh, the coastal parts of America, California, and uh, New Jersey, really, really awesome uh, tomato canning. And what Dan does at Ratsa and what we lay out in the book is for rel a relatively affordable price, you can go to your local supermarket, buy all the tomato brands on the shelf, and then do blind taste testings to see which one has balanced flavor, doesn't have any like 
tinny, metallic uh, flavor profile, which has actually been picked at the peak of freshness. Um, the sort of the, I would say, like to go back to the mindset <laughs> question, you got to be in the mindset that you're going to be like touching the food a lot. I want you to get your hands in the whole can peeled tomatoes, feel for like the hard bits, the green pieces of skin or red flags, um, and really get to know the product rather than just following uh, that sort of Neapolitan dogma of getting this, this, and that, and then making it into a pizza. There's so many other options, and the benefit is flavor if you're thinking of each individual uh, ingredient and choosing from a selection based on uh, based on a more objective scale, the blind taste test. So, uh, question for you, Katie: sugar or no sugar in my uh, in my pizza sauce? I mean, I would hope this is my, the ideal is that during your taste test, you found a brand of tomatoes that has a balance of sweetness, natural sweetness and acidity. Um, and the only thing you add to it is a little bit of salt uh, to balance out those flavors. Sometimes tomato brands, uh, I'm thinking of like Gustoroso, which is really excellent. You don't even have to add salt to it because the natural umami of the tomato is so present. And then the sweetness is so like it's not cloying, it's natural. So I'm going to say no sugar in the pizza dough if you're making like an American artisan style. Sorry, no sugar in the pizza sauce or the dough. Uh, if you're making the artisan style, if you're making like a Sicilian slice, look, Sicilians put honey and sugar in all sorts of savory things, <laughs> but that's a different, that's a whole different can of worms. That's their, their Moorish influence is all those sweets. And then, you know, and then you get the marzipan down there as well. It's just, it's, it's a sugar overload, man. It's so good. But I love the Sicilian style pizza too. Oh man. I love going down to Palermo and getting one of those slabs right on the street. It's just, it's wonderful. I mean, they put breadcrumbs on top of the pizza. It's the perfect food. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. I've, I've been preaching it since uh, day one of the podcast. Uh, Katie, you just got back from the book tour with you and Dan. Um, give me an idea. What, was some of, what were some of your highlights as far as food goes? Because you went to some great food cities when you traveled. Uh, pizza or otherwise, what were some of the highlights for you? So Dan and I traveled to L.A. and San Francisco. Um, I would discourage anyone visiting those cities to go on book tour because you end up eating a lot of fast food at, you know, in the middle of the night, uh, having forgotten to eat, in, uh, to eat during the day. But in San Francisco, we had a really lovely meal at Rintaro. Um, that was delicious. All sorts of, um, seasonal things, a sort of izakaya, like the Japanese trotteria, uh, analog. Uh, and that was really fun. Um, and then in, uh, in LA, um, I ate 100,000 tacos, which is always my jam. Uh, gotta get the al pastor at Tamik's, uh, in Mar Vista. Um, and then we had a really good, I mean, good's an understatement. We had a pretty spectacular bagel at Courage Bagels. And I want to say that's in, uh, Silver Lake or Los Feliz on the east side. That was delicious. Um, and then I, I always go to, and I'm going to spell it for you, L-U-V, the number two, E-A-T, Thai Bistro. Love to eat. It's so delicious. Uh, and I never, ever miss that. You're based in Rome. You've lived in Rome for decades now. Literally. <laughs> and you, uh, you're obviously a huge pizza person. You've written books about it, but you just love pizza. What is it about Rome that makes it such a great pizza city? 
Uh, I love Rome so much because there are so many pizza styles. People usually associate Naples with pizza, and it's true. Like there are hundreds and hundreds of pizzerias there, but they tend to be doing the same types of things, like the you know sixteen inch diameter thick rimmed pie, or the smaller one that's folded to go, or the fried. Uh, pizza. Whereas in Rome, you have all of that because Neapolitans have been making pizza in Rome for decades. But you also have the native styles. Uh, my absolute favorite, the one that I start my day with, um, is pizza alla pala. So that's P-A-L-A, which is the Italian word for the pizza peel. Um, and it is uh, the length of the pizza oven's depth, right? Or I should say the bread oven's depth. It's made at a bakery. And traditionally, bakeries would bake bread, right? But in the 50s and 60s, you had this influx of people coming to Rome. They needed food. And bread bakeries, rather than allow their ovens to be uh, empty during the day when they were done with bread baking, they decided to make really long pizzas. And then they, uh, they'll they take this sort of five or six foot long slab of pizza to the counter. And at in the morning and at lunchtime, people will go in and get slices. Um, so it's one of the two pizza al taglio or pizza by the slice genres. The other is pizza in teglia, which is spectacular when done well. Um, and that is a pizza cooked in a sheet pan. Same deal. You go in, you order, they cut it to the size that you want. Uh, they weigh it and uh, you take it away. And then in the evenings, uh, there's the personal pizza, the pizza tonda, which is close to the diameter of a Neapolitan pizza, but it has no rim. In fact, the uh, the pizzaioli in Rome use a rolling pin to like flatten out the entire disc and it's very sparsely topped, also like the Naples style, cooked in a, a wood-fired oven. You cut it with a fork and knife, um, and it's generally a dinner thing. Like, you can for sure find it at lunch, but it's more of like a dinner time pizza style. And then there's one more. Do we have time for this? Of course. More style, <laughs> please. <laughs> I'll put in a little footnote that at bakeries, where they make the pizza a la pala, they tend to also make pizzette, which are very little pizzas, sometimes made with pizza dough, and sometimes made with puff pastry, and then dabbed with some uh, tomato sauce, uh, and then usually no cheese on that, just maybe oregano. Um, and those are really good little bites that you can take home if you're like having friends over to watch a game, or if you want to host like a little aperitivo at your house, those are, are, are tiny little pizza bites that you can uh, share. Um, but the most recent pizza style is called the pinza, um, which was invented in 2001. Um, so two years before I moved uh, to Rome. And the inventor claims that its recipe is from ancient Rome. Now, the recipe includes wheat flour. So check, the Romans had that. Soy flour, Romans did not use that. <laughs> Rice flour, Romans did not use that. Uh, but it is a wonderful <laughs> marketing <laughs> ploy and has inspired people to join the Pinza movement by signing up for the official Pinzeria Romana course, uh, where you can train to make pinza and then you kind of sign on to buy all the pre-mixed uh, flour batches that have uh, dehydrated sourdough starter in them. Um, I actually really love pinza. I think it's hilarious that like the inventor just said it's an ancient thing and then literally no one ever bothered to ask uh, for proof. No fact checking. <laughs> and those are kind of oblong. They tend to be like par baked, uh, taken out of the oven and then ha uh, have more toppings put on. Um, it's a much longer bake than the Roman style, which is, you know, two minutes or so. Um, closer to six or seven minutes and uh, ideally is also cooked in a wood-fired oven. So we've got pizza alla pala, pizza in teglia, pizza tonda, 
pizzette of various kinds and pizza, pinza, P-I-N-S-A, Romana, very alliterative. I love the pinza. I got to tell you, I live in Portugal now and I'm in kind of a pizza desert, but there was a place here in my town that I live in. He was from Naples and he used to serve pinza at his restaurant. And unfortunately, the place closed. I'm heartbroken over it. But he had wonderful ingredients. He had a local guy also from Naples who made his dough for him. And uh, that's where I really fell in love with uh, pinza. And now I'm just like, oh, man, what am I going to do? Because it just doesn't it's just I don't know. There's got to be places in uh, Lisbon that I haven't found yet. But in our town, it's kind of tough to find a really good quality uh, pizza, unfortunately. And I'm sure it's breaking your heart as much as it's breaking mine to hear this uh, tale of woe. It makes me really sad. I mean, the cool thing is you can Google the official pizza recipe and just make it. Like you don't even have to buy the like pizza registered trademark mix. You can find a hack on the internet and bake it yourself. And what I really love about the pizza, and it sounds like, you know, because you reference the toppings uh, you do as well, because it's a much longer bake, it's got more structural integrity. So you can actually really um, load up the toppings uh, in a way that yes. you can't on the thinner Neapolitan and Roman style. So it's a little bit more substantial uh, you can get creative. And because it's brand new, um, there aren't the sort of like classic toppings. Uh, Pinceria owners are free to like freestyle with whatever they want, whatever seasonal, whatever they think is fun. There are a lot of like sweet and savory combos that are really delicious. Um, so it's a really creative space that is, uh, is, is thriving. And I hope it comes back to your village. Me too. You know, it's, you mentioned that bakeries make pizza as well as pizzerias, this reminds me of uh, Rhode Island, where I lived for many years, and they had a, a version of tomato pie called pizza strips. And you wouldn't go into a pizzeria normally. You wouldn't go into a pizzeria to go to get that. You would go into a bakery. Um, is, is that kind of where the where the difference lies between a pizzeria and a bakery as far as what you get, or is it something altogether different? It's really different. I mean, a, a pizza tonda is a meal. You sit down, you don't eat the pizza first at a pizzeria in Rome. It's a whole ritual. You start with fried things and beer, fried zucchini flowers stuffed with anchovy and mozzarella, fried cod, fried olives stuffed with meat, fried uh, mozzarella, fried rice croquettes. It's a real abundant <laughs> uh, selection of fried things. And then you have your pizza and that's your dinner. Um, meanwhile, the bakery which is doing a, a, an electric or gas deck oven bake at a much lower temperature than the, the round pizza, which is a wood-fired bake uh, closer to like 800 uh, or 900 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. That's a much longer bake. The hydration of the dough is different. The toppings tend to be different. Like the classic Roman bakery slice is pizza rosa, just like a red pizza, some tomato sauce on top, olive oil, a little oregano. Um, that's the kind of classic, whereas you get many, many more topping options at uh, at a personal pizza joint. You went through all these different styles of uh, Roman pizza. Let's go through a few of them and talk about some of your favorite places to go, because you know all the places, Katie. So um, if, if someone is coming to you and saying, hey, where should I go for, say, uh, pizza at El Taglio, 
which is the Roman style that I'm really familiar with, the by the slice, the slab that you get and you get uh, weighed out and then you eat it. Where would you tell me to go to get the best uh, or one of the best pizza al taglios in, um, in Rome? So if you're getting the pizza by the slice, remember there are two different genres. There's the bakery one. And in that case, I would go to Rosholi or uh, Forno Campo di Fiori. And I'd get red pizza at Rosholi and I'd get white pizza at Forno Campo di Fiori. And I'd have them slice it open and fill it with mortadella. That's a very classic bakery pizza thing. Meanwhile, if it's the sheet pan, then I'm hitting up Lievito Pizza e Pane in Aor. Aor is this very uh, bizarre business district that was built in um, a neighborhood, a suburb built by Mussolini called the Universal Exhib- Exhibition of Rome, Aor in Italian. Um, and it's like completely strange and like alien to the rest of the city. Uh, and it's got a couple of metro stops. So it's easy to get to Lievito Pizza Pane, which is a kind of like just a lunch spot for workers, but has such amazing, such amazing pizza in Taglia, which is one of the pizza al taglio genres. Um, and then you've got to go to Panificio Bonci and Pizzarium, uh, for more slices, uh, Gabriele Bonci's, um, pizza by the slice joint and bakery, uh, do really excellent slices. And I wouldn't miss either. I was reading your article in Eater where you talked about some more of your favorite places and looking at it, it seemed like there were a lot of great pizzerias and pizza joints in the neighborhood of uh, Trastevere. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, uh, could you give us an idea? Well, first of all, describe the neighborhood, but also give us one or two of your favorite spots uh, in that neighborhood because it sounds yeah. so interesting. Of course. Um, so Trastevere is a neighborhood uh, just opposite the uh, historic center, which I think is kind of confusing because Trastevere is historic and it is central. But it's so called because in ancient times, uh, like the Roman citizens obligated foreigners to live over there, like on the other side of the river, Trans Tiberium, which gets sort of transformed into Trastevere in modern Italian. So it's got this medieval and renaissance nucleus. The buildings are like 400 to 700 years old. And then uh, in the 20th century, kind of like hideous 1960s and 70s apartment blocks got built at the edges. <laughs> um, and so uh, there's a place called Illuminati that's in one of these really aesthetically challenged uh, residential complexes. That's in the Eater piece. Okay. And then on the main drag in Trastevere, which is this huge avenue that like kind of bulldozed the medieval quarter to make a tram track, um, is a place called I'm Army. Um, and it is like, there's nothing special about the ingredients. It's probably some of the worst ingredients you can find ever, but there's something very magical about that place. It looks like a morgue. So everyone just calls it the morgue. Um, it's got like sort of slabs uh, for tables and like a neon sign above the oven. It's just like super, super charming. And I think it's a super classic place because it serves not just fried things, but also beans, which are like the typical starter uh, in sort of old school Roman custom. Uh, so it's a, it's a carbtastic destination. Beans and pizza. Who'd have thunk, right? Um, from an American standpoint, it's like, oh, uh, it sounds unusual, but it's a, it's a great combination. Now, speaking of combinations, in the U.S., typically we have beer and pizza. In Rome, would we have beer with our pizza or would we have wine with our pizza? Or is it up for grabs at this point? 
There's always the option of both. I think customarily people always go for beer um, when from like a sort of technical professional pairing standpoint, a very mineral driven, uh, crisp white wine or even a sparkling wine or even champagne are considered like the ideal pairings for a margarita. And then you'd switch up if you have something a little bit more substantial as a topping. Um, like if you have sausage or something, you might want to go for, um, like a light bodied red, something like that. But I would say, I know it's like, it's very, very indulgent, but champagne, like a great champagne with a fantastic margarita is like a 10 out of 10. Um, the good news is you don't have to like do that. You can also get like a really delicious, um, naturally made Prosecco, which is going to, which is not going to be filtered. Um, and so it's going to have kind of like the yeasty, bready notes uh, that really blend very well with with pizza, something from uh, like Casa Belfi or something like that. You're you're kind of blowing my mind right now, Katie, because I can't tell you how many pizzas I've had in my lifetime because it's uncountable. But I've never even considered having champagne or a sparkling wine, Prosecco, Cava, any of that with pizza. It never even entered my mind. And now that you say it, I'm like, of course that would be a great combination. Bubbles are always a good idea. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's that's going to be the new mantra. Bubbles <laughs> are always a good idea. <laughs> Put that on your merch. <laughs> what about uh what about beer? Are are we doing are we doing craft beer or is it all Peroni? A lot of the pizzerias in Rome are serving Peroni, Nostra Azzurro, Moretti, but the kind of like third wave places, uh, Legata Mangiona, uh, Sbanco, Sforno, Tonda, they are serving a pretty extensive craft beer selection. Um, and Sbanco is actually co-owned by a, a craft brewery. Um, so I think because craft brewing has now captured about 6% of national consumption and Rome is a consumption capital, uh, you will find a lot of pizzerias that are offering more than just the the classic lagers. You'll find even like vintage sour beers from Piedmont represented on on lists. You'll see things from you know every region. Um, craft beer is definitely definitely in the mix, but it's more common for people to you know drink a Peroni or Nostro Azzurro. Katie, you were on the uh, pizza season of Chef's Table on Netflix. Uh, what was that experience like? T tell me how it was. How did you enjoy it? So yeah, the pizza season dropped recently and I was featured as one of the talking heads on uh, the Gabriele Bonci episode. And, uh, you know, it's always really interesting to think about a person's body of work. Um, I've known Gabriele Bonci and I've been eating his pizza for almost 20 years. I moved to Rome the same year that he opened Pizzarium uh, near the Vatican and I've watched, you know, his struggle to get noticed at all. And then his struggle once he became super famous. Um, and so, you know, watching the evolution of a baker and then being able to, to sort of comment on it and encapsulate it in a way, I think that that's really, that's really special. And I was very happy to do that. Um, and, you know, the, the episode, which I recommend that people watch definitely like uh, dabbles in some issues with mental illness and uh, addiction. And I think those are important stories to tell. Uh, you know, it used to be complete taboo to talk about things like that in the food space. Yeah. And the more people are open to acknowledging their their struggles, uh, the more other people feel sort of empowered uh, to share as well. 
Well, Katie Parla, thank you so much for being back on Destination Eat Drink. Congratulations on your newest book, The Joy of Pizza, Everything You Need to Know. I'll have links to uh, the book as well as your website so folks can learn more about you in the show notes. But thanks again for being on the show. It's always great to catch up with you. I love following your stuff on social media. And uh, thanks for taking the time to talk pizza today on the podcast. Anytime, anytime. Also, just come to Rome. We can eat pizza together. <laughs> I, I may have to. You know, I, I keep threatening to go to Naples for St. Joseph's Day so I can get a decent zapel. I might have to just go to Rome to get decent pizza. <laughs> Hit me up. Okay, there you go. Katie is so incredibly knowledgeable about Italian food culture, which is great, but she's also a lot of fun to talk to. I've got links to Katie's website as well as where you can get her book, The Joy of Pizza, Everything You Need to Know, in the show notes. That's at radiomisfits.com slash DED213. I've also got links to Katie's recommendations there. And she told us a lot of great pizza joints in Rome. So definitely go and check that out for your next trip to Italy. That's a wrap for this week. Next week, it's a brand new year. And on the podcast, we'll be exploring some of my favorite transplanted cuisines. Until then, get over to DestinationEatDrink.com. I just posted a new story about a neighborhood in Lisbon that's only a couple of decades old. You think of Lisbon as a very old city, and it is indeed a very old city, but this space was just repurposed along the waterfront after it sat for years as an industrial wasteland. So get that at DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. And while you're there, please consider supporting the Destination Eat Drink cause with a small contribution. Just click on the Contribute button at DestinationEatDrink.com. Thank you very, very much, and Happy New Year. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and a guy who wants to know why there's no pizza and scotch pairing in Italy, Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.